Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about public shaming and body shaming. And we're going to talk about it in a few different ways. I had a recent experience of, I suppose, what you call fat shaming myself um, in a local shop with a man who was really not very nice to me. And um, I found great solace in writing about it, actually, in a column. And the feedback I got was so overwhelmingly positive and also Lots and lots of people got in touch through emails telling me their own experiences and in a way just putting it out there, even though it was quite kind of a little bit vulnerable and scary to do that, it really did help. And I think I hope it helped other people too. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. And the conversation that we have today was also prompted by another article in the Irish Times written by Sasha Decker, who's a Dutch woman living in Ireland. And Sasha is paralysed down her left side and she tells me the story of how that happened. But she also wrote in the Irish Times this week about an experience where she was mocked uh, by a family sitting nearby as as she was in an Irish restaurant. There's a, a girl behind me. She falls off her chair. She's fine. But there's all kinds of plates that are crashing. And what happens to my paralyzed arm is like when I get startled or when I have to work really hard, it spasms. So my arm spasms up and the male adult at the table, of course, I don't know if he's the father, so I call him the male adult. He bursts out laughing and he makes like the sound like a seal, like, oh, oh, and he puts his arm up and everyone's laughing. And then he makes this gesture that indicates he thinks there's something mentally wrong with me. And it's a breaking point for me. It really is a breaking point. That's Sasha there. And we're going to hear um, from her in a moment. And I'm also going to be talking later in the episode to Nadine Reed, a brilliant woman who's a Birmingham born TV presenter, fashion creative and all around great woman. And she lives in Donegal at the moment. And she recently came down to Dublin to host a conference on a subject that we've discussed on the podcast before, period poverty. She also ended up talking to me about her fertility journey uh, and how her body size has been a barrier to that. And I think you're going to find that really interesting. But first, we're going to hear from Sasha Decker. And as I said, she's paralysed down her left side and she's kind of defied expectations of doctors because she continued to live a really full and rich life, despite the fact that they were telling her she should go off and live in a nursing home. But her article that she wrote in the Irish Times this week was about an experience that left her in tears. She wrote, how can people be so cruel? How can adults be so comfortable setting such an example in front of children? She's a great woman. And she also makes the point at the end of her article that in a way, like we all do it, we all talk about people and we comment about people and we make judgments. And I think the thing is, we think people don't notice, but of course they do. And we just shouldn't do it. Uh, We just shouldn't project our stuff onto people. We shouldn't make assumptions about people's lives based on what we see in front of us. So I think and I hope that this is an important conversation and I hope you get something good from it. Here she is, Sasha Decker. Sasha, thank you very much for coming on the Women's Podcast. I want to ask you, I suppose, first of all, about yourself and the condition you live with. Yeah, so thanks for that, Roisin. So uh, very quickly, uh, back in on the 24th of August 2015, I went into hospital to have a surgery that was supposed to cure me from the epilepsy that I was diagnosed with in 2009. And this was supposed to be a very straightforward surgery. You know, surgery on Monday, walk out on Thursday, stay home for maybe two months, live the rest of your life epilepsy free. Um, I woke up fully paralyzed down my left side. Nothing had ever gone wrong in the 12 years they've been doing this surgery. This was not something I was prepared for. Three weeks later, um, one of my medical team came to tell me that based on the MRI they'd taken earlier that day, it was highly unlikely, which is doctors speak for we don't think it's ever going to happen. I would ever walk, work or live independently again. And they handed me a list of nursing homes telling me I would still have 
some quality of life in there. Um, I told them pretty much in that moment that they had no idea what I was going to be capable of. I was going to walk on the Great Wall of China. At that moment in time, I couldn't stand, walk or even sit up straight without any help. Um, to the day, two years later, I walked on the Great Wall of China. So great stuff. Um, the vocational report from the NRH also read that I had to, they were very impressed, lovely person, yada, yada. But it was highly unlikely. I had to accept that I would not go back to work full time and to accept that, you know, life was going to be very different, especially not at the level I was used to. I'm currently global vice president of enablement at HubSpot. You know, I, I've broken some barriers there. However, I am paralyzed down the left side of my body. I walk with a stick. I wear a brace. My arm is fully paralyzed. I have a very clear, visible disability. And so over the past six years, I've learned that people look at me very differently. One of the biggest things is that I'm now people like you. All of a sudden, you know, some people feel the need to address me like that. People like you, as in people like you take all the good parking spots. <laughs> Apparently that's such a thing. Frustration galore there. So anyway, so I was on holiday with my best friend and we were going for dinner. And I'm kind of used by now that people look at me. People stare quite openly. I'm, I'm always like, hello? Sasha, just remind us where you were on holiday. You know what? Without wanting to be dismissive, does it matter? No. But, you see, no, but here's the thing. And here's the reason, Roshi, I'm asking that. Because more people have asked me that also in the comments. And one of the reasons that people want to know that is because they kind of want to feel that this couldn't happen in their part of the country, in their county around them. They want to feel that this couldn't happen right here. And then, you know, this could easily be spiraling into a discussion around, but then what nationality were they? And then, you know, the next thing, were they, were they white? And the thing is that this is not about where it happened. This wasn't Ireland, by the way. Let's keep it to that. The thing is that this wasn't the first time and I'm not the only person. This happens to people with disabilities all the time in Ireland, all over the world. I think that's a brilliant thing to say. And yes, you're right. I mean, there was, there's definitely a curiosity. Oh, if I can put it down in Cork or if I can put it in Donegal or if I can put it in Galway, then I don't have to think of the nice Dublin people doing that or whatever else. Or exactly. even better, if I can put it in Spain or France, then exactly. I can those terrible foreigners doing terrible things. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I'm really that's glad. I'm really glad you clarified that. But you wrote this article anyway about your experience and it went viral in the Irish Times and it was our most read and it really really struck a chord. So tell people what happened in this place in Ireland. Let's just say somewhere in Ireland. Yeah. So I went out to dinner, lovely restaurant, really nice place. And it was very busy. It was on the 29th of December, you know, just before New Year's. Very busy, lovely pizza place. I love it there. It was busy. We walked in and it's always, you know, I have limited balance. So it was a bit difficult navigating. So we sat down my best friend's there. And about, you know, halfway through, I see the family sitting behind her, two adults, two children, teenagers. I think, you know, maybe about 14 and 16, something like that. And they're making fun of me. I see them laughing and pointing. And again, you know, I know that sometimes people talk about me. I got a really fancy collection of, of walking sticks. And sometimes people point at that and come over to ask me. But this time, like people are laughing. There is no positive intent here. Like there is no, this is not a friendly conversation. They're, they're pointing at me. And I'm like, okay, something's wrong. And I'm, I'm debating, should I tell Esther, my friend? And I'm like, yeah, you know, she's had to step up for me so many times. I know this is going to infuriate her. And I decide not to. Also, because when I do, because many people are like, why didn't you say something? If I do... The entire night's going to be about that. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to ignore this. I'm having a lovely night out. I'm going to ignore this. But it's very obvious. You know, they're laughing. I've got one work in hand. I've got a pizza. 
I'm the type of person who likes to slice her pizza. You know, call me crazy. I just like that. So I'm trying to slice my pizza with my one work in hand and they're mimicking me. You know, they're doing the, oh, she's slicing her pizza. It's very clear. So I'm trying to ignore this. I'm doing this. I'm a warrior. I'm slicing my pizza. Who are they? And then at one point, there's a, a girl behind me. She falls off her chair. She's fine. But there's all kinds of plates that are crashing. And what happens to my paralyzed arm is like when I get startled or when I have to work really hard, it spasms. So my arm spasms up and the male adult at the table, of course, I don't know if he's the father, so I call him the male adult. He bursts out laughing and he makes like the sound like a seal, like, oh, oh, and he puts his arm up and everyone's laughing. And then he makes this gesture that indicates he thinks there's something mentally wrong with me. And it's a breaking point for me. It really is a breaking point where I'm like, because I've seen this happen before, where people start indicating they think, and people have called me like a retard and things like that. And it's the point where I'm like, okay, we're there. And that whole, I'm a warrior, I've got this, I'm a global vice president, I've worked on the Great Wall of China, I just feel it fading away. And and everything inside me is it's like, okay, I, I don't want to cry. I also don't want to go over and stab them with the knife I'm holding, because part of me does want to do that. Like, I need to let this go. I need to stay here. I need to be calm. And it's tough. It's really, really tough. And all I can think of is I don't want them to see they matter. I don't want them to see that they're getting to me because they are. And it was tough. It, it was just, it was really bad. And they left shortly after and so did we. And, and I cried. I cried my heart out. Yeah, because it does get to you. It is tough. It, yeah, it was horrible. And Sasha, I'm so sorry that happened. But also, I'm just really interested in... You wrote this great article and I, I can understand it a bit myself because I, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to you at all. I had a bit of a, a negative experience. We'll talk about it in a minute. And I felt much better after writing about it <laughs> somehow. I don't know why. It was like it, it put it back on the person who was mean to me rather than me holding it in myself. And and also the response that I got. So what happened to me was somebody was not nice to me about my body, uh, about my body not being skinny, say, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's put it like that. Um, in a shop while I was minding my own business. And it's just that I can really feel for you in terms of just being reduced to something like you are not your paralyzed side of your body. I am not my body shape. I'm somebody else. I'm I'm me and you are you. But when you're reduced to that by by observers, by onlookers, it's so dehumanizing. And that's where the hurt, I think, comes from. You feel it's so unfair and unjust because you're being dismissed and you're not a person anymore you're just a a disability or you're just someone who has more weight than another person or whatever it is and I think that's for me what got me and and putting it down in words and then the feedback that came it was like turning the situation around and I just wondered what it was like for you when you sat down to write the article about it well that's so so many of what you just said that's exactly it and and it's it's an experience that I've had ever since becoming paralyzed, the fact that people no longer see me as just me. It's oh, the, the woman with the disability. And writing about it exactly to what you're saying makes me feel that I am taking back power. It is about that. No, no, I can write about it. I am me. And let me take back that power and put this in writing. And then the responses have been over because we all know social media can be so cruel. Yes. Okay, let's see. <laughs> But the responses have been overwhelmingly kind and supportive. And that has been so soothing. Yeah, I've absolutely loved that. Yeah, It is very healing because it reminds you, because sometimes when you're in those situations, it can feel like, well, what, what I felt like when it happened to me recently. And I mean, like you as well, since you've had your... Um, your uh, operation that went wrong. I'm sure you've experienced this in many different ways all the time. But I really relate to what you said, that even though you have all this warrior and I'd be someone who loves myself and thinks I'm great, you know, a lot of the time. And I don't go around. I mean, not sometimes there might be issues where I might be feeling a bit down one day or whatever. But most of the time I don't go around thinking about myself as some kind of 
flawed person because I don't fit the kind of socially so-called acceptable model of what a woman's body should look like. It doesn't really go around in my head 24 hours a day. So when it happens, it makes you sort of think, um, oh God, is this really, is this what actually everybody's looking at me and thinking? You know, even though you know somehow that that can't be true because you don't go around looking at other people like that. So presumably other people aren't. You start to feel this kind of, um, oh my God, am I just that? Am I just my body to everybody who sees me? Are you just your paralyzed side to everyone who sees you? And that's a really um, horrible feeling. But then for me, when I wrote about it and saw all the amazing comments and people really relating to it and all the emails I've had of people having much, much worse experiences and, and feeling the same. And I'm sure it was for you like that, like that when you hear how many people understand and I've given you empathy and I feel appalled on your behalf, it's that reminder that, you know, no, most people are not like that. Most people are sound. Absolutely. That is so, so true. There's, there's absolutely two things. There's the fact that because it's it's scary to put yourself out there. And I mean, you do that all the time. And I so admire that. And so you know that being vulnerable and putting yourself out there is there's a, it always comes with a bit of, OK, what's going to happen this time? And then to AC, the responses of people being so incredibly supportive and also the responses of people who say, thank you for raising awareness. Thank you for doing this. And then you're like, and that's what I'm doing it for. You know, if there is one person who get something out of this for saying, okay, maybe I've done this in the past. Maybe I've talked about someone like that and I shouldn't do that. And maybe there's someone who goes, thank you. Thank you for sharing this. You know, it helps me. Thanks for being vulnerable. You're like, okay, I've made a difference. It helps for sure. Yeah. And then I think that's what it is. I mean, without going into cliches, but when you take a really horrible, hurtful situation, like we both experienced, and I think yours is much worse than mine. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't want no, to... No, just different. Yeah, different. But I just don't, also don't want to be jumping on the bandwagon of your hurt experience. But say like if you experience hurt, but if you can turn it into something positive, there there's something so wonderful about that because I think that's what you did with your article. Um, By being so vulnerable, by taking... Because we, even though I'm used to doing it, it is a risk every time because you can't guarantee what people are going to think. You know, you would hope to be understood and heard, but you can't guarantee that. So there's a risk involved in you exposing yourself and your vulnerability and your your feelings and all of that thing. And so to do that and then it turns into something good, it's like, oh, it takes everything that happened and turns it on its head into another beautiful thing. Yeah, it really does. I, I just got this gorgeous email this morning from a colleague of mine who her two oldest children 10 and 13 read the article and she told me that they had to write about a person they were looking up to just last week and this morning after reading the article they said mommy we could have written about Sasha had we known her last week will you please tell her that there are more good people than bad people in the world because one of them has a, a child in their class who also has a disability, and they were just appalled. And that got me in tears, and I was like, isn't that so, so beautiful? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, and I do think, I mean, to, to continue the positive, optimistic frame of mind, I think we're getting better. I do think people are better now at understanding that, you know, I mean, I think some of the stares and some of the, you know, especially in children, you know, if, if a child sees something that they haven't seen before, it's natural for them to be curious, perhaps. And, you know, there's ways of a parent talking to a child that makes it not some crazy thing or has to make. But that family like epitomized really bad role modeling if they were parents or if they were guardians or whatever they were, you know, encouraging children to make fun of people. I mean, and then you think that's they're going to grow up in the world and that's what they're going to teach their children to do. But I think we've kind of come a bit of a long way. Do you feel like, and especially the response to your article, people being so outraged, hopefully means that we're changing our way of thinking about these things. It's so interesting that you're saying that. I think that it so depends. So just the other day, a couple of months ago, I was in the supermarket and I was wearing a skirt. So then my brace is very visible. So and you have a leg this, brace. A brace yeah, it's on a your leg, leg brace, yeah. yeah. And so this girl, I think she must have been about five or six, is staring at me. And I was, you know, I was smiling at her. And she walks over to her mom and she goes, Mommy, what's wrong with the lady? And I'm I'm smiling at the woman. You know, I'm very clearly doing the 
it's okay. And she looks at me and, and she basically grabs her daughter and goes, that's a very, very sad lady and runs away. Oh I'm my like, God. You had, I mean, I'm encouraging you here. And I'm like, you had the perfect opportunity. This was such a teaching moment. And but I, but it's it. the thing of you with your big beaming smile. And then she categorizes you as a very sad lady. This is the <laughs> disconnect. Like, you are teaching your child here that disability is a very, very sad. And like, you know, if I'd given you a grumpy face or something, then fine. You know, you wouldn't feel uncomfortable. But I'm, I'm showing you that I'm open to you coming over and doing something like, let's ask the lady or anything. And you're... I mean, I understand that your child staring at someone asking in a loud voice what's wrong with the lady is a bit uncomfortable, but I'm smiling encouragingly at you. Missed opportunity here. Do you, do you think, I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you about um, how people project onto other people and I'm, I think there's such a fear, you know, it's it's like fear of disability, for example. So she looks at you and thinks if that was my life, I would be so sad and devastated. So she's immediately assuming you are. I remember doing a game of um, Mr. and Mrs. Do you know when uh, you have to kind of guess what your partner would would think about things? And one of the questions for one of the people I was playing with, these are friends playing with, was would you prefer to have your leg amputated or to be fat? And the woman uh, said that she preferred to have her leg amputated and be and be fat. Like, I'm sitting there fat. And, <laughs> and it's like, this is what I mean about projecting. It's like... You know, almost people who are looking and being mean about, say, over fatter people or mean about people with disabilities, they see it as their worst nightmare. And so when they look at you, that's all they can see. And they can't see beyond that nightmare that they've invented in their heads, by the way, because they don't know what it's like to live to live in a fat body or to live with paralysis or anything. So they're deciding. So it's again, a lot of the problems in the world, I think, are about people making assumptions. I think a lot of it comes down to people making false assumptions about experiences. And we need to stop doing that. We need to listen to people. And like you have clearly an amazing life, an amazing job. Yes, there's limitations put on you with, with what you're experiencing, but... It doesn't mean you don't, ha you know, what those doctors try to do is write you off and tell you to go live in a nursing home and just forget about life. And you yeah. said, no, I'm not doing that. And in a way, society kind of looks at you. Some people look at you and think that's what you should be doing. Absolutely. And, and what you're saying is so, so true. And I experienced that a lot, like that whole idea of fear. Generally, people who meet me for the first time are just strangers. The very first question they'll ask is, are you going to get better? <laughs> and and, you know, at the start, that used to really bug me because I'm like, you have no idea where I've come from. And then at one point I realized this is your fear. What you want to hear is, oh, if I were in your situation, would it get better? And so now I've learned to say, you know, it's been six years, probably not. But let me tell you where I've come from. They didn't think I was going to walk again. I walked on the Great Wall of China. I've walked the VHI 10K, you know, mini marathon. I'm doing amazing. And then you can just see them relax. Okay, that, that's nice. I like hearing that. People love that kind of positivity because it is exactly to what you're saying. It's fair. Yeah. Well, listen, totally. I think we've done a good little job here to reminding people about, you know, how people move around in the world and not to make assumptions about people and also not to project your own bloody stuff onto other people. It's not helpful at all. Uh, what would you like to say? I mean, after having had the feedback you got and having been able to get that all off your chest and express <laughs> yourself, you feel better. And what would you like to tell people about about the experience and maybe about going around and seeing people with disabilities? What should they remember? I think more than anything, you know, do stop talking about other people. And if there is anything you want to know, just ask. You know, indeed, exactly what you're saying, stop projecting. If you want to help people, help people. If you really have something to say, make sure that you say it at home when there's no one there to hear you. Because people do know and it does hurt. Just remember that, you know, it is the old don't do unto others what you wouldn't want to have done unto you. Think about that. Just think twice. Yeah. Brilliant. Sasha, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And maybe just tell me a little bit about your actual job and then uh, maybe we'll get you on to talk about that another time. It sounds interesting. 
I'd love that. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm the Global Vice President of Learning and Development at HubSpot, which means that I, I make sure that everyone who comes into the company who works either in sales or in our customer service department, my team ensures that they be are the best that they can be. Yeah. I love it. That's a great job. You're empowering people all day long. I am, which yeah. I totally love. Yeah. And and the other thing that I love about it is that it's a company that really helps people be the best and that has such a focus on culture and, you know, helping others as well be the best they can be, which really helps me be myself and bring my best self to work. So, yeah. Well, no better woman. And it's been wonderful talking to you. And thank you very much for writing about your experience in the Irish Times. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20 plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That was Sasha Decker there. I really enjoyed that. And our conversation leads us nicely to another chat, this time with Nadine Reed. Now, some of you might have seen her videos on TikTok and Instagram. She's a very funny woman. She's got great joy in her. She's an influencer, a TV presenter, a fashionista beauty woman. She's got so many strings to her bow and she's currently living in rural Donegal. And we wanted initially to have her on to talk about an event she hosted in Dublin this week to combat period poverty. And it was in connection with Homeless Period Ireland and with Lidl, who are really leading the way as retailers. They've provided 80,000 free period products and they've done a lot of research. They found out that three in four people in Ireland believe that period products should be free for those who need them. Um, 18 to 24 year olds in Ireland spend over 200 euro each year on products. And Lidl have sort of been doing these redeeming vouchers on them and 65,000 products have been redeemed through the Lidl Plus app in seven months. So it's kind of incredible. There's a real conversation going on. So we talked to Nadine about period poverty, but also about so much more, including her very eventful day in Dublin, which took in nail care, fertility conversations, a session with her acupuncturist and, of course, that important conference on period poverty. But first of all, I asked the woman who's originally from Birmingham in the UK to give us a little potted history of how she ended up living in Dublin and then decamping to Donegal. There's no quick explanation at all. <laughs> I'm, um, I, I like to say romantically, my grandma travelled thousands and thousands, you know, it's not thousands and thousands, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Jamaica to England to start her family um, to, you know, offer them more things. So I feel like I'm I'm from a, a, a place of people who are, you know, excited to see the world and see what it offers, do you know? Um, so, yeah, so growing up in Birmingham, um, I always loved it. But from 19, I left and travelled and studied in different places. So I've always been someone who would... Uh, not be in the same place, I guess. And um, yeah, and the opportunity to move to Ireland came up. I was like, why? Sure, why not? At the time, it was a cheap flight. It was a cheap flight home if I needed to get home. No big deal. And um, then obviously living in Dublin, I've had a whale of a time. Enjoyed myself, did some great things. Um, all the telework I did, obviously, was based, based mainly in Dublin. And then um, the opportunity, COVID hit. 
I was like, okay, I think I need some nature. I think I need some peace. I think I need some calm. And Donegal just turned up on my radar. So I've been here for a year and I'm loving it. Well, I'm loving your little videos, especially with Taryn Devere <laughs> as well, the most colourful woman oh in Ireland. God, she is. She really, really, really is. Like, it's great. Taryn was my first friend here. Do you know what I mean? I was like, what if I, oh, I was brilliant. like, if I've got one friend, if I've always got, I always think if I go somewhere, if, I've got, if I know one person, then I'll be fine. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. And since I'm knowing Taryn, you know, my friendship circle has ex- extended beautifully to some really cool, adventurous, like I now have friends that are like, do you want to go kayaking, Nadine? I'm like, wow, kayaking? Uh, okay. <laughs> do you, Nadine? Hey, Nadine, do you want to go climb this mountain? I'm like, uh, oh, okay. Do you know, oh, Nadine, there's a cafe that has llamas and emus. Do you want to go to coffee there? I'm like, okay. Do you know, whereas before, I'd be like, what bar are we going to? What, what's the cocktail? Do you know? So it sounds like your world has really expanded and become much richer going to Donegal. Completely. I can't believe the things. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the beach. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's been two days. I haven't seen the water. Like, that's the kind of stuff I'm saying to myself now. Well, who am I? Who am I? It's madness. Now, you were having a wild day in Dublin yesterday. Um, you're usually in the wilds of Donegal. What were you down in Dublin for this week? Oh, yeah. So I had a great sort of um, 24 hours in Dublin. I had, let me think, I started off getting my nails done at Hillary's in Ranelagh. Very, I prioritise everything, you know. So I had my nails done, which uh, honestly, I feel like such a girl, such a lady again. It's so interesting. The power of an, of the nails so the lovely Tony hooked me up. So that's how it all started. And then um, I had a phone call with a fertility clinic while I was in the nail salon. OK, hold on a second. Hold on. Tell us about the phone call. What so, was that all about? Lovely phone call. Um, there's this late, like I've heard this lady's a legend. I've only recently um, spoken to her. a lady called Penny from Greece, from a clinic in Greece called Serum. Oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. Penny just emailed me. How mad is that? That's weird. Destiny. So um, I, yeah, so I had an email from her and she basically was just telling me all this information and um, I guess kind of invited me over to Greece for a consultation, you know. Um, So she was explaining all of that to me and I was like, oh, wow, brilliant. Okay. Because you're looking to become a a parent. I am looking to become a parent and I am a lady who has not met, met her Mr. Right. I haven't met that great partner yet, and um, but I'm ready to go solo because, you know, slight time is of the essence. It feels, the timing feels good. Timing feels right. I'm 44 now. It's 44 two weeks ago. And um, so, yes, I'm doing it by myself. And um, this clinic so far seems to be very supportive of that, which is really good and very supportive of the fact that I have a high BMI. Some clinics, sadly, um, have shunned me, you know, I, f- I felt like a Mary on Christmas Eve, you know, that kind of way, you know, no room at the infew. And I'm just, I'm just, I was a bit like, what? But yeah, so there is, um, some fertility clinics have BMI rules, um, that if your BMI is say over 35, they will not see you, you know, at all. So this means me losing like a good six stones, do you know? And I'm like, uh, no, I can't do that. The stress of that alone would kill me. Um, so I, uh, the clinic I found um, or was recommended to me by a lovely lady called Alwyn. She's always talking about her experiences trying to become a parent on her Instagram. Um, highs and lows as well, I tell you that for sure. Um, she put me on to this this clinic and they've been so supportive. And she literally said to me, the lady who's like the main lady there, she said, I've worked with women for years and years. And I can tell you now, BMI, it's not a factor to have it to having a child or not. It really isn't. And I know she's not wrong. I tell you now, Roisin, I've known a lot of women yeah. slimmer, you know, fitter in the eyes of, you know, the medical boards. And they have suffered to get pregnant and had you know, very sad things, you know. So um, it's not a thing. <laughs> Nadine, can I ask you then, as somebody who aged 37, definitely with a BMI of over 35 at the time and still now had, you know, twins with 
you know, very straightforward. Um, I had to have a cesarean, but that was because of the fact that they were twins, not for anything else. Um, and I just I'm interested in how the fertility clinics kind of uh, frame that for you, because in my experience, and like you say, many people's experience who are not um, who have a BMI over 35, it's totally possible to, to become pregnant. It's completely possible to have a healthy pregnancy and to raise your children um, while being a, a BMI of over 35. So how do they frame it in terms of we won't accept you? Literally that. Oh, uh, well, I, some in e- well, I guess because I knew it was coming, I started to email before uh, getting to the the big kind of thing. I'm just like, hi, I'm interested in learning more about your clinic. Do you have a limitation on BMIs for, you know, and some of them are right back. Yes, you need to have. We will only help you if you have a BMI over under 35. Um, that, that literally um, very sorry. This is just what it what it is. I had a longer conversation with a clinic in Liverpool, which I thought was going to be really amazing. Well, the um, uh, clinic I'd actually had really good reviews about them. And it was created by a woman. I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then again, I went over to Liverpool, had big consultations, various instruments put inside me to have a little look around. Everything looked good. So then to be told, you know, three hundred pounds down um sterling pounds that i'm talking um <laughs> that um they won't help me because of my bmi and then this one doctor said oh no it means that you're more likely to miscarry and i'll be honest with you after that conversation i was devastated i was so upset i was hurt i i yeah. felt i felt that they were telling me that i'm going to be a bad mother almost like mm-hmm. well look at you there you just want to have your kid it's not about you know it's not about you it's not about the kid it's about you you know she just made me feel that I'm almost trying to like kill my own kids do you know what I mean and I was just so upset by that the way she put it because she kept saying oh the statistics and I said oh really I was would you mind telling me what statistics they are or is there is there a you know is there something I can look up can I read that myself and she goes well I don't have the details do you know right. that kind of way? And I was like, well, you yeah. just made that up or it's from 19 bloody 40. Yeah. You know, some doctor, 1945 said something and you're still rolling with it. And look, look how much things have changed in our lives. You know what I mean? We've had 10, we've had 25 vaccines in, in one pandemic. I find it very interesting, Nadine, as I said, having been through um, this sort of conventional uh, maternity services and I have to be honest, I'm not sure about other people's experiences, but I never had anybody saying anything to me about my weight being an issue or that I should be worried about it or anything like that. And I'm not saying I had a particularly amazing experience. I'm just saying it's interesting to me that it didn't come up. But suddenly, because you're going at it that way, that now it's a big issue. That's the thing that I find very suspect. It is a bit suspect. I honestly think it might just be one of these legal things. I think it might be a legal thing. So if something doesn't work out and I can't say because of you, I don't know, I'd say it's to cover their backs. I don't think it's for the, you know, for the client's help. But if it's that, if it's that, Nadine, then surely they should say that and be very upfront about that because... You know, at least that's a kind of maybe there is a legal issue there and maybe that's something it's a bit easier to accept that really, isn't it? Even though that's unfair as well. Uh, at least yeah. there'd be a kind of transparency about where they're coming from. Whereas without that, it just feels like and I don't know if you agree with this, but I presume you felt a bit body shamed there. Oh, fully. All of the shames. Body shamed. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Mother guilt before you're even a mother. Yeah. Um, Like, honestly, I was so upset. I was angry. And this all happened to me like two days before Christmas. And I was just like, I really don't need this. I remember the Curry's Larry. I could hear him like um, I'd ordered a deep freezer. I could hear the beep, beep, beep. And she was like telling me all these horrific things. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't deal with this. So, um, yeah, look, I asked them for a refund. We'll see what happens. Um, they should have made that yeah. very clear, I, I'd say. I filled them with thousands of forms and then I was told this, you know, that kind of way. But, yeah, I think it is shameful. I think something should be done. I think the most women um, going into this, not even just women, you know, parents, potential parents yeah. going into this industry, they're looking for support. They're looking for help. Um, often they might be coming in vulnerable. They might be coming yeah. in with, sadly, you know, maybe the weight of miscarriages behind them and all sorts of horrific things. So mm. <laughs> you think they'd have a bit more 
you know, delicacy and kindness in in their approach, which some of them don't, sadly. Nadine, you know, um, this woman you found in Greece, that sounds like a much more positive experience. And she seems like she's working with lots of women of all different shapes and sizes and she's not discriminating, which is wonderful. I'm really glad you've had that. But leaving aside that issue, you're 44. You just referred to it earlier. You said, you know, that they thought it was more about you than it was about a baby. Have you had any negative feedback from anybody else about, you know, wanting to go on the solo parenting route at the age that you are? Um, even though that's a perfectly valid thing to do, there can be quite a lot of judgment around that as well. Surprisingly, it's been the opposite. I have oh, had, I've been inundated with support. I've been inundated oh, with women saying, gosh, I wish I actually had the courage to do that. I've been inundated with people saying, God, you know, um, if only, you know, if it was easier, I would have probably done that myself, you know, but people don't have information, they don't have access. Um, and, you know, I, but I do think we've come a long way in, say, the last 10 years even. But listen, so, I mean, I interrupted your busy day. You had your nails done. You had your good chat with your woman in the fertility clinic. You were also had a very important job um, in Dublin this week, which was to host an event called Combating Period Poverty with Dignity in association with Homeless Period Ireland and also with Lidl, who are doing a great thing and are trying to eliminate period poverty and are going to give away a load of um product. So tell us about that. Okay, so um, yes, I was asked to to host this event and to sort of jump on board as well as, uh, I I guess, a a, a version of an ambassador. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but I'll say that. I like I I will call you an ambassador. I'll be an ambassador for this campaign. Ambassador Nadine Reid, it sounds good. Ambassador Nadine Reid, I'd say all of us should be ambassadors for these types (laughs) of causes anyway. Um, So yeah, so um, I got to meet um, Claire Hunt, who um, runs Homeless Period, the initiative. And um, then I got to speak to so many different legislators, senators, Irish senators, who are trying to push forward the legislation. So simply girls can get free period products. Like the statistics will blow your mind, Roisin. Okay, so get this. Okay. From age 12 to 19, right, 50% yeah. of girls age 12 to 19 can't afford their period products. Yeah. Like, imagine. I was one of those girls. Was you? Oh, my God. I'm yeah, so sorry. That. I'm so sorry. It's horrific. No, I mean, it's, it's funny, though, because there wasn't such a thing as period poverty when I was experiencing period poverty. Just, like, so. deal with it. Roll up some toilet paper and get, get, yeah, over, worse, get over yourself. Worse newspaper. <laughs> newspaper. Dear Lord. Oh, my I know. gosh. But you do oh, whatever you have horror. to do. You the do thing whatever is, you have to do. Period poverty, like, was just along, you know, general poverty, and it kind of wasn't, you know, because we hadn't got the sort of language to speak about periods the way we do now and menstruation, and I'm so glad it's different now with my daughters that we're having perfectly normal conversations about it but we just didn't then and as a result you kind of it was again talking about shame there was shame around it there's always so much shame around all of these topics and it's so frustrating it's so frustrating and unfair but um the statistics are terrible because we think oh we're in ireland you know you know and then it's costing 18 18 to 24 they're spending 200 quid a year on this I don't know about you, but when I was 18, I didn't want to spend 200 quid on a load of tampons. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? pads. I I was thinking about this the other day and we've talked about period poverty on the podcast before. But like, Mm. you know, you think if you go into a into a bathroom, a public bathroom, and Mm. imagine if there wasn't toilet roll there, right? Or else they were saying you have to buy toilet roll. In order yeah. to use the bathroom. Yes. I feel it's the same thing. Yes. It's like, you know, it's taxed as a luxury, but really it's something that women, half the population go through, are going to go through for a lot of their lives, mm. most of their lives. And, um, but we treat it like it's some kind of, um, extra bit. Extra bit. It's so that, strange. Yeah, it is strange. Now I've heard with the whole luxury thing that I think tampons and sanitary towels aren't classed as luxury, but extra... Not but anymore. The, I think they the used to be, isn't it? Yeah, it used to be. But like, like I bought those period pants, do you know? They were like 30 quid, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so those, all those things are luxury and those like moon cup things and all the different options that we have. But um, yeah, so 
I was really, really, it was a no-brainer for me to get involved with Lidl for this one, particularly because, remember, I had fibroids. That's what brought around my knowledge of my uterus because I had a massive fibroid, like huge, like six pounds. It was like a baby, um, which I had taken out. So for like 20 years, I've suffered with really heavy periods. So I've been in the embarrassing situation where you're like, oh, my God, there's a big stain on the chair I was just sitting at. Oh, my God. Everyone can see that. Oh, my goodness. Everyone can see my, you know, all this blood or this stain. And it's so embarrassing. I've been I've been like stepping into big events where everyone's looking at me, you know, like making speeches and stuff and like with really embarrassing period stains, you know, know. it's just like horrific. And I've had to just sort of find ways to get through that and live with that embarrassment. Um, So and that's with me having access to all of the all of the tampons and sanitary wear that I've ever needed. And I still ended up like that. So um, the thought of somebody younger with not as much self-esteem that I've learned to, you know, to grow over the years, um, it must be just absolutely heartbreaking. Like life is hard enough already that this extra thing that girls, again, you know, it's like an extra thing that women have to deal with. It's like, give us a break. So, and it look. should just be made as you know comfortable as possible. I just want to read out a few um, comments from some of the people who were at your event. Oh, brilliant. So, uh, Minister for Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sports and Media. It's a big mouthful. <laughs> Catherine Martin, TD. She was there and she had previously brought a motion on period poverty into the Dáil in 2019 mm. on behalf of the Women's Parliamentary Caucus. And she said period poverty is a real issue for women in Ireland and it's having a negative impact on their education, their well-being and quality of life and must be spoken about and addressed in those terms. She was giving great praise to Lidl for um, for their initiative and ensuring the momentum is gathered in the campaign. And also speaking with Claire Hunt, you mentioned, mm. Claire is an amazing Trojan woman, does incredible work on this subject. She's the CEO of Homeless Period Ireland. She was praising Lidl's support for eliminating period poverty in Ireland and creating this conversation across media and in politics. Um, because so many people are aware of Lidl's campaign, which started, I think, last year. And and uh, it means one in every two people know the issues uh, that we face when it comes to accessing period products. And just a quote, finally, from um, JCP Scally, who's the CEO of Little Ireland and Northern Ireland. And what they're doing is they're giving 65,000 free period products redeemed in seven months. It's the highest level of redemption for any in-store initiative that they've ever experienced. And they also realise they need to go much further in eliminating period poverty. And as one of the biggest retailers in the country, they have the scale to support loads of different causes and this is one of the ones that they are really um keen on uh, as strong supporters of women and girls in Ireland and they want to ensure they play their part in continuing the conversation and removing the stigma around periods and period poverty because I think that's the other thing as well like you just mentioned about your fibroids um Nadine it does on the one element there's the thing of we don't want any girls to not be able to afford the products but we also want to normalize the conversation about yes. period stains yes. and about the different ways that we have to turn up sometimes and not feeling completely groomed or cleaning 100% we've got cramps or whatever's going mm. on it should be something that we can just talk about exactly exactly completely completely agree and you know what I have to say I've got the Lidl Plus app right I scan it every time I go to shopping and something popped up the other day oh you know we're free chocolate or something you know collect your free you know it was chocolate or Something something like that, sun-dried tomatoes or something like that. So, like, you know, Lidl do have this thing where they're basically giving away free food. However, those, you know, free period products has had the biggest redemption. I find that's quite interesting. So people are choosing tampons over chocolate, like... I would <laughs> maybe they're getting both at the same time because you need a bit of chocolate. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that would ever be the case, you know. So no. there's obviously <laughs> such a need. Eighty thousand, apparently eighty thousand period products they've given away. And um I'm glad they've made it really easy. Like I think you go into the app, you register, then you get like a coupon sent to you every month that you go right. and redeem in the store. I think that's pretty good. So you don't feel too embarrassed. You know what I mean? Like, excuse me, can yeah. I just get them free tampons? You know what I mean? You know, like, can I just get them free tampons? You know, you can just show your coupon. There you go. Done. Yeah. They also did some very good research and they found out that three in four people in Ireland believe that period products should be free they to those be. experiencing period poverty, while 83% of women aged between 18 and 29 
believe they should be free to all women. And that's what I think. I, think I don't think it should well, be yeah. it should be means tested or something like I just think it should be like toilet paper. Imagine yeah. if we had a debate about whether people should have to pay for toilet paper. Oh, no, or not. it wouldn't happen. And I say no. if men had periods, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There'd be no need for this podcast <laughs> because no. there would be no. Well, that is true. Amen. To that. No well, listen, I, I, I'm very grateful that you came down to do all of those things. And Nadine, before we let you go, um, another thing we're talking about on this episode is about sort of something we've touched on slightly is about body shaming and being shamed in public, which is off the back of an experience I had recently of being treated not very nicely because of my size just as I was in the shop the other the other week um, and I suppose I just wanted to maybe if you could finish with a message for people who might not realise how kind of hurtful those things are and how, how much people who move around in different bodies uh, have to endure that Oh my god, my message is like maybe just don't be a dickhead I don't know <laughs> Like, I don't know, it's not really, it's not really that hard. Like, don't be mean. Like, on a serious level, like, don't be a knob, don't be cruel, don't be a douchebag. That's very tarrant of you. Don't be a douchebag. Um, you know, we, we're all here living the best we can. And yeah, like, I don't know, I just, I'm, I really am one of those people. I kind of can't entertain those fat shamers because I'm like, you're such an idiot. You're such a mean person. You don't even realise it. So I struggle to entertain them. And and for, I guess for the, the high BMIers out there, keep doing you, babes. You know what I mean? Crack on. Crack on. I love no it. Crack on. We'll all go crack on. Yeah, and, crack on. And Nadine, you crack on too. And we'll have, we'll have you Thank back you. when you've got some good news about your, your fertility journey, like I said. And thanks very much for coming Thank on and you. all the work you do. Oh, thank you so much. And great, keep up the great chats with the podcast. We need it. Great words there from Nadine Reed, And thanks very much to Nadine and also to Sasha Decker for joining us on the podcast today. And do let us know what you thought about that conversation. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.